And welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your host, Daniel. And Daniel. Daniel, I waited for the cue that time. Aren't you proud? Yeah, it's only taken us how many weeks now? Um, <laughs> what year is it again? Hold on. This is the end of October 2023. I think we started at roughly 2021. <laughs> we're not too far away. No, we Anyway, we, we're practicing some new stuff. We're getting some new things. And even you got you found some cool stuff that you were showing me right before the podcast. Did I now? Did you? I mean, they might be for future episodes. Or past episodes. Hmm. What or they're for past episodes. But for future episodes from <laughs> technically the dating of right now. Oh, yeah. We've already recorded it. Regardless of what we're saying. Anyway, yeah. that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. We have another top eight debate for you. Our big series, our big timer, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. You ready for this, Daniel? Yeah, and this is also the start of our next cycle. We tend to like to do stuff, especially around the holiday season. That's right. Our last cycle was all about the spooky. All about the spooky. I'm still wearing it because we're recording this right before uh, Halloween. In fact, we're recording on a Monday because, you know, tomorrow's Halloween. That's right. Uh, but this is this is our Thanksgiving cycle, so time to spend with your family, mm-hmm. either food-related or stuff That's like right. that. Christmas, right. we're going to be doing like another cycle where we're going to be talking about like the holiday games that we like playing or mm-hmm. do a top eight debate that deals with something holiday or that yeah, kind we'll of thing. Yeah, let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, that leads us into our new thing we're going to be doing. We're moving all our stuff to the, the best of the year and stuff like that to January. This mm-hmm. way, once we go through the full year, we just do that cycle there in January uh, that leads us to our last basically set off of in February, and then the new season starts up in March. So we're actually pretty booked out. Yeah, we are. And, and so I, I called you the other day, and I was like, hey, I got an idea for Chips and Giggles. And you were like, cool, we'll write it down. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this in about four months, like maybe, maybe. Yeah, which is pretty funny, actually. That It's yeah. good to have a schedule like that. Yeah. And so right now, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, it's the 30th of October. Mm-hmm. It's getting into the, hol- uh, the holidays. And the next holiday here in the United States that's coming up real soon. Yep, and just happened in Canada. And just uh, happened in Canada is Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which is a huge holiday here. I mean, it's one of the biggest, mm-hmm. easily, by far. Yep. Um, and it makes you one of the biggest, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, Thanksgiving, I like it, but uh, I was we were both very tickled when you came up with this idea. <laughs> Just because it's but, hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Go ahead and tell them. Uh, so today, you know, to start our Thanksgiving cycle, mm-hmm. I guess you can say, uh, we decided what would be great food kind of related top eight debate. And I thought, you know what, let's just do Uwe oh. Rosenberg because what's the one of the main things he has as a mechanism? Feed your people. <laughs> and we've done food-based topics before. Yes. But we're like, well, how do we change it up? Though, like, I swear, as everyone else has pointed out, Uwe Rosenberg was hungry whenever he designed <laughs> any of his... Exactly. He probably goes on a fast and, and just writes down ideas and brainstorms and then has a meal and then develops them. Yeah, exactly. That's my guess. Yeah, because it's like, I think we have one, two three-ish, four, or if food-related, one of the games in here is actually food-related itself. Yes. So, I mean, almost half this list is about feeding your people. Easily, yeah. Or some kind of food or farming or agriculture, In fact, one of my honorable mentions deals with feeding something because you're collecting something from something. At least one of mine (laughs) might as well. But either way, we're going to get into it. 
before we do so, Daniel, what have you been playing lately? So, as I mentioned earlier, that I just got back from a cruise to the Bahamas. I think I mentioned it off the thing. So, mm-hmm. I just had a cruise to the Bahamas. We did Disney for Disney World for a Tough little life. bit. Yeah. I had a cruise. So, I couldn't really play actual games, but I did take a bunch of card games. And one of the newer ones I recently played is called Eleven Nymphed. Uh, you gave me this copy of it. We've both played Six Nymph and mm-hmm. actually enjoyed that game a lot because oh, yeah. it's basically card shedding. You're trying not to get negative points. The mm-hmm. bullheads on the cards. Kind of a la Little Devils I mentioned before where you don't want to have these cards because they're negative points for you. Um, so I just put it down as like the lowest score wins. Golf rules and stuff like that. So playing it, you're playing in like, I think it's like four different stacks and you got to play in ascending order and stuff like that when you're shedding your cards. This one plays a little different compared to that. This one, uh, everybody gets 10 cards in their hand to start with. Then you have one discard pile in the middle of the table. And you play, you have a choice. You either play a card or you pick up a stack. Those are your two choices. And so you keep doing that until someone picks up a stack. And once they do that, if the stack is one, two, or one or two cards, you get nothing out of it. But other than cards and your whole purpose is trying to get cards out of your hand. But if you pick a stack that has three or more cards in it, you get a bullhead card. And that bullhead card will allow you, if you play it, that you can play multiple cards on one stack. If you have multiple bullheads, it allows you to play on multiple multiple cards on multiple stacks. So it's interesting how you can start finagling that as well. And then when someone takes a stack, it adds a new stack. They replace the one that got taken and add a new one. So at one point, you only have one. And then next thing you know, a couple rounds in, you have like five different stacks that you can play on. However, you can only play in ascending order. That's one of the rules. Mm-hmm. That's cards one th- or one through one hundred. Uh, and there is a big rule: is that when you do play a card, it has to follow within ten. So it can never go over ten. So if there's a sixty-six on the board, I cannot play a seventy-seven because it's eleven points higher. But I can play the sixty-six or the seventy-six, jump it up ten, and then I can play if I had a bullhead, I could play the seventy-seven and then seventy-eight and stuff like that. I had. So you have to follow that 10 rule. It's real quick, and you play a round per player. So for us, when we played it, it's four players. Whoever has the lowest score ends up winning. And so you start seeing the wheels clicking, and my friend Angel and my wife, who are very strategic players. And so they were taking massive big stacks with their when they don't really didn't need to. They can play on a couple things, but then they saw how they know how that stack is working, and they can feed cards in their hand. All right, there's a stack there. They can play a bullhead card and play off multiple cards. So they slide the cards that fit into there, and then they play their bullhead, and then boom, they have like they went from three cards in their hand to like 13 cards in their hand to one card in their hand. <laughs> and so they kept kicking mine and um, our friend Maria's butt every time they did stuff like that. But it was a really, really cool game. I liked it a lot. In fact, I want to pick up Six Nymph and play that again. Because, honestly, I would keep both of my... my yeah, they're different enough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really cool how it works. So, so that is Eleven Nymphed. And also here in America, it's all, the, another name for it is Take Five. A take Yeah, Take Five or Take Six or something like that. Yeah, it's Take Five. Yeah, yeah which which makes less sense because take five is six nymphs and the, so two different numbers yeah a little confusing but either way but i think the take five the reason why it's called take five is because those cards can be played in five different ways you can play the six nymph variant yeah. rules but you oh, there's also other games that you can play with the cards yeah all right the first game i wanted to talk about that i've been playing uh, i finally got it to the table i brought it over when you and i were having a game day 
And I looked at the rules, I was like, oh wait, the two-player variant is playing two two-player. Oh, we were each. like, no. Yeah, and immediately, no. Like, and that, that's one modification to a game that I really don't like. If I have to play multiple players... Um, <laughs> You're not going to hit light tomorrow. Uh, well, I mean, that's an exception, right? It's I, something I have to get to. Yeah. yeah, which is fine. I mean, I do it for your games, but if I have the option to not have to do it, then I'm not going to do it. That's, yeah. that's really my I plan. agree. No, I, I do not disagree with you. I just need to get this game played because it's been sitting on my shelf yep. for six years. Yep. I'm not putting you down <laughs> for that. I'm trying to bring up my game, sir. No, the, the game I played was uh, Madam Ching. Okay, which, yeah. Because yeah. we got three players to play it. And so the way this game works is pretty simple. You have a big board that um, either goes to the right side of the board or down and right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like a triangular path. And you're trying to get as far as you can because the numbers on that increase. And the farther you get, let's say I land on the number 31. Mm -hmm. Then if I end my journey there, I get to take the mission tile that is closest to that number without going over. So if there's a 29 there and that's the highest one. I can take the 29, but if there's a 32, I can't take it because I didn't get that far. Yeah. And so all of these give you points in different ways. Um, some will give you, like, gold coins, which are worth one point. Um, there's red, whites, and blues gems that are worth varying values, two, mm -hmm. three, and four points norm traditionally. And there's other ways to modify that as well. Okay. But there's also, the, the way you do it is you're playing the game kind of similar to... Um, Kind of like the game, you you know, you're only always going in increasing value, mm -hmm. and the numbers are anywhere from 1 to 55, so if I play a 25, I can't play anything less than that same journey. However, they have different colors on the cards, and if you play a card of a different color, you go down in diagonal, which gets you way more farther on the progress. Yeah. If you play a card of the same color, you just go right. And eventually, if you get to the point where you get to the edge of the map, well, that's just as far as you can. That's no man's land. You just you're you're going way off the path. But if you go all the way down to the bottom and right, which you have to play like eight different colors, yeah, you get to Hong Kong, and the first player to do that gets ten points, which is pretty cool how it works. Yeah. So you're move you're playing these along, and as people end their end their journeys, they go back to the beginning. The card that they play will then become, like let's say I I have like a forty five and I play a twelve. Okay. That was my next card. Well, that'll be the first card of my next journey. So I start off on the number one. And then you continue from that, and you keep building up, building up, building up from there. And it's cool because at first, we're all traveling, like, right at the same pace. Yeah. And then eventually, like, one person will go, like, one card shyer than the other person. Like, okay, fine. So they're a little bit ahead. And then, but it's like, well, I had a pretty bad one, so let me just do this, and let me just jump around. And then by the end of the game, you're all just at completely different levels. But... Whoever plays the lowest card gets to draft the cards from, that are available first, mm -hmm. which make, gives a little bit of an advantage to whoever's farthest back versus the people who are scoring the real big points. Yeah. Then on top of that, they have some symbols. Um, each of the symbols, if you get like a three or four of a kind of a symbol, then you get to take special ability cards, which give you either like an additional card in your hand or you add six to the, how big your journey was or you get encounters or whatever. And if you get all of those, then you get a, a big ship, which is worth five points, and that triggers the end of the game. Okay. Or until um, all the mission tiles are gone, which is more likely. It's a fun little card game. It is way overproduced. It's okay. very pretty, but it works really well. It's just a simple little, like, oh, I'm going to play this card, I'm going to play this card. And you're all playing at different times, watching as you're, like, jumping across this board. Mm -hmm. And also, if you play a lot of cards of the same color... Eventually, you might trigger events, which are actually little <laughs> bonus cards. You pull the card, 
you see what's going to happen. It, it was really neat. I was actually really impressed with it. It's probably going to stay in my collection. I think it was one of the best games I played that night. But now it's out of uh, four or five. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Madam Ching. Alright, so my next game is a game that I've talked about before. We both like this series of games. But I really, really enjoy this. My, my buddies brought this one on the cruise ship. Uh, I like the way this did it. It's a two-part set or two-part game. For the unlock series i've never played one of those where it does like two parts this right. one is called mission number zero seven okay uh so it's kind of like a you're working for an agency and you're trying to figure out who's the spy within the agency and they're working with a different company and so you're doing uh whatever you need to do you do the puzzles really really neat um i like the fact first off it was a two-part series so you did it you found out who the guy is and then Using the same hour time frame, you go to the second half of the game where you're trying to stop whatever their plot is. That's cool. Uh, and so it's got a really cool little in-game aspect of it that I really did enjoy. Um, no spoilers here, but if you if you know, you know, because it, it does something you don't really see a lot of times in these escape rooms in a box type sure. series of games. Uh, it had some really cool puzzles in it. Uh, it dealt with some stuff, especially towards the back half of the game. It was really, really neat how it worked, and we really enjoyed it. And, and honestly, a big part of it, too, we liked it because when we were on the cruise, we basically couldn't get on Wi-Fi. We couldn't do anything of that. The app was basically the only thing that can, was we can get access to because it's already just downloaded to your system. Sure. And so it was allowing us to disconnect and actually just sit there and game and not look at our phones and stuff like that. And it was really cool how this one worked because everybody was just engaged with the puzzles. And there was other people that were coming into the, we were like in the library on the cruise ship. So people were coming in, they were watching us and whatever we were doing and stuff like that. We're playing like this escape room thing. And so, and then other people were playing like their card games and then you could just see them like just keep looking over what we're doing. <laughs> Uh, we were trying to keep quiet to our table and stuff like that and discuss how we need to do things. And we figured stuff out. And when it got to that end game, we were just like, that's neat. I, I really, this is actually probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite unlock that I've played so far. Wow. Uh, and that's because I played the Star Wars one. But the puzzles are cool. That little end game scenario was really neat. I really enjoyed this one. Unlock mission number seven. Awesome. And uh, just to reply real quick to Illuminous. I am not familiar with Curie AI. Curie AI. Curie AI. Do enlighten us. And yes, Creative Chaos, the new upcoming game from Thing 12, looks very pretty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Viewers of the podcast will know it looks very pretty. And the next game that I've been playing <laughs> is one that I was very excited to get to the table. Um, as soon as we got it in stock at our local store, I bought it right away because I saw it at Gamma. Uh, me and our mutual friend Dom all pl played it when we were at Gamma, and this was one of my favorite games that we played there. It is a two-player cooperative game. Is it uh, Sky Team? Sky Team, yes. Oh my goodness. I bought my copy and I didn't get a chance to play it, but my son actually joined me for that game night, and so he was playing games with other people. So the, the version I showed to the other players mm -hmm. was the first time my copy was played. Oh, okay. And so I love it when that happens. Like, they, they play it, they're like, wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And then um, I taught it to my son and a friend of mine, and they played it, and it was awesome. It went over really well. They absolutely loved it. My son adored it. It's almost to the point where 
it's not that common where he actively requests me to play games. Yeah. And he absolutely has with this one. Nice. We He wants to play scenario after scenario after scenario. Because it gets intense. It works really well how it works. Because the way it works is simple. You each have four dice. And your goal is to land the plane. Uh, one die has to be assigned to the engines. The engines determine how fast you go, which is how, how far you go along the, the actual track. Yeah. Each of the different airports have different tracks with different numbers of airplanes on it. Um, another one is you have to balance the plane, where you have to keep it as horizontal as possible. Mm -hmm. If you ever go completely vertical in either direction, it's immediately game over because you've lost control. But and that's the other one you have to do that's required. Some of the other things that you could do is um, the captain, they have to apply the brakes by putting either a 2, 4, and then a 6 in that order. Yeah. Or they have to do four other dice, which actually increases the lower, the lower speed. They're actually lowering the, the flaps. Yeah. In order to... Or actually, no, uh, they have the wheels. They're lowering the wheels to make it go slower. The co-pilot has the flaps that they need to lower to, yeah. to start easing up on the flight. And you have to do all of these in succession while applying dice to the radio tower to clear out planes that are in the way, which seems like it should be their job, but, you know, I'm not a pilot, so what do I know? <laughs> and then you have to do that as you're slowly descending. So you have from 6,000 feet, as you go down, it's 6,000, then 5,000, 4,000. And when you get to that bottom level, you better be at the airport. You have to have all your wheels down. You have to have all the flaps ready. You have to put the engine speed slower than your brake speed and hope that there's no planes in the way. That it's, sounds... it's so good. Like, and it sounds so stressful, but like... Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It plays over a series of rounds. Each round you have a phase where you do communicate and you're like, all right, here's kind of the game plan. I'm going to probably play on here first and I'll play in like my middle number, whatever I think that is. You care, You balance that out. Then... Or I can put a higher number here. Or I definitely need to get these brakes ready. You know, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. You're, and then as soon as the dice are rolled, no talking for the rest of that round. Ooh, which yeah. is totally how flying works, right? Yeah. Um, again, not a pilot. Not a sponsor. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't I don't know how Honestly, flying... I was just on a plane. I hope those pilots were talking to each right. other. Right. <laughs> yeah, one would hope, right? But when we finished playing it at Gamma, we're like, okay, that was cool. That was fun. It seemed pretty easy, but, you know. It's, it's a fun little game. And then one thing that the person told us about it, which said it far and out above, they're like, there's more than 10 scenarios. Everything from having to do with wind speeds to an intern that doesn't know what they're doing to running out of fuel to an ice storm landing. Oh, like, man. just crazy stuff. And you're like, wait, what? And there's different, there's different airports you're landing at, different paths. Different levels of difficulty, and there's the flight log, which you check every time you succeed at it. It's so crazy. But, man, is it such a good, fun campaign game for two players, and it works really well. I can't recommend it enough. If I if I did ratings, which I normally don't, but if yeah. I did, this is easily a 9 out of 10. Really? Easily, yeah. That's oh high. yeah. I, I would love to show it to you sometimes. Honestly, it's, you don't rate a lot of things 10. I, I rate more 10s than you do. I very rarely rate 10s. But this is, so far right now, this is about a 9. I'm I'm increasingly impressed with it every time I play it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Components are good. Bees are good. Theme is good. Strategy is good. Really good. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, can't recommend it enough. All right, what is it saying about Kirai? 
that it's an enthralling battle between two players, each with a hand of cards that represent their movements and attacks on battlefield. The fight happens in a narrow lane where combatants edge forward and back in a deadly dance. Uh, each round, opponents will select one movement or attack and then reveal them simultaneously before resolving them. Advance or retreat. Strike high or low. The first samurai to score two hits wins. Wow. I, Illuminous, honestly, if you like 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 a lot of depth and like small amount of cards, because there's only 16 cards in this game, um, another one that's similar to that is uh, Seals of Cthulhu. Uh, but I think it's all actually is a really yeah. cool little two-player micro game. All right, um, Daniel, shall we get into this? We shall. Again, this is going to be our top eight debate for Uwe Rosenberg games. We had ten ranked. Uh, we what we did is we went on BoardGameGeek.com, found Uwe Rosenberg as a designer, which has like two hundred something games to his title, mm -hmm. um, or titles to his name, and we put them by rank, and we picked the top eight that okay. you and I have both played. That's important because when we make the arguments for it, we want to be able to make a sound argument. So we apologize if some of your favorites are skipped because of this. We try to get as we try to get ones that we can legitimately debate. argue, yeah. Yeah, because if one of us hasn't played eight of them, then it just can't happen. But by all means, you're allowed to put in your recommendation games, and let's see what some of those honorable mentions are. All right, I'm getting that pulled up right now so our first one was added by michael mm -hmm. and he said indian summer now this one looked interesting i did it's see a, it on yeah, the list it's another polyomino game yeah but i have not played it so no i haven't played any of the ones that are on that series there's indian summer is one of them and i think they have like different seasons assigned to them mm -hmm. like something spring and whatever um yeah again it's a lot of polyomino he went from farming to hardcore polyomino, polyomino. which yeah. is kind of strange but I mean, if that's your thing, why not? Yeah. Yeah. The next one that was added uh, from another Daniel. Represent. Represent. Uh, was Agricola. Now, there's a reason we didn't put this on the list yes. initially. And, let, and let's just explain that right now before mm -hmm. we have to later. Because Caverna's on the list. And let's be honest. They're very similar. They're very similar. I know they're different games and different people like them for the same they, reason. Yeah. But we're going to take that into account. Yeah. Um, I'm... It's we'll the same be arguing reason. the pros for either of them, but when we say Caverna, we also mean Agricola. Right? And it's the same reason, like, if we were doing one of the, the North Trilogy series from sure. Tim Phillips. Uh, Raiders is the higher rated one, so that's the one would go on our right. list. Uh, same thing with, like, the Architects uh, series, the West Kingdom series. Yep. Uh, we'd probably put Paladins on the list over Architects of the right. West Kingdom. Cause Even I, though they're they, very different games. Yeah. But they kind of go into the same style of sense. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's just one of the reasons why Agricola didn't make the list. Yep. All right, cool. The next one here was added by Kevin, uh, Glass Road. Uh, I have been intrigued by this one. It looks interesting. It does. It does. Um, Kevin also added Rakeholt, which is farming in the Nordic countries, or um, Iceland. Yep. Uh, next up, he also added Gates of Loyang. And he also added Newsford. Now, both of those I have not played. Nope. Uh Gates of Loyang is one of his older ones, if yeah, I remember correctly. It does look really cool. I was very, very close to getting it one year. Uh, Laszlo added Fields of Arl. Um, yeah, Fields of Arl was his. Yeah, yeah. he didn't even know it. Yeah. Um, Nier, forgive us if I've mispronounced your name, added... Speaking of things that are going to be tro trouble to... This is the name of the game. Um, Oranienberger? Canal. Canal. Or Indianburger Canal, yeah, uh, which honestly looks awful. Like the cover, <laughs> the cover is one of the ugliest things yeah. I've seen. 
But and that's saying something because I've seen the covers that you bust out sometimes. Yeah. Case yeah. in point, what was it, Federicus? Oh, Frederica, that whole components list was just oof. Uh, Rachel added Atiwa, which is one we'll talk about a little later. Yep. Rachel also added Hollertau. Never played that one. Nope. And finally, Yuki added Fairy Trails. Cool. So, uh, we also had an option where you can post your comments on it and explain why you do or don't like some of the things, or also honorable mention explaining why you added it on the list. Joe said, I'm not really a Rosenberg fan, but I like Luoyang, Bonanza, and Hallertau. Uh, and Rachel was just adding on the sheet that she added Hallertau to the vote, so anything added later has a disadvantage. Yep. I mean, again, disadvantage is a relative term. term. We weren't going to debate it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's only going to be touching. It yeah. just allows the audience to put honorable mentions. Yeah, exactly. So, But by all means, if we do eventually play it and come back to it, we might. that might be an advantage. Yeah. Um, Orienberger Canal is the best game I played so far. Odin might dethrone it once I play it more, and that was by Near Again. Uh, and Michael said, honestly, he thinks Indian Summer combination of race without any points. And the Zen fill is a wonder to behold. The visual help, the visuals help a lot too. Very cool. So that's uh, another reason why I kind of want to play it. It looks like a really nice game. Yeah, it does. It does. And it was just me adding the rank for people to find out where this is. So if you're interested, you can find it on the Board Game Revolution um, Facebook page. And let's talk about our honorable mentions, because we picked out a few as well. Yep. I've only played one of them. The other two, I'm really interested in playing, though. Okay. Do you want to lead us off, or do you want to play? Sure. I'll lead it off. The only one I played, it was also an honorable mention by the audience. Uh, One of the reasons that we discussed why we took it out, Mm -hmm. Agricola, they play very similar. Um, I did enjoy it. Uh, I just like Caverna a little bit better for what it does because you're not only you have your farm outside, you're also building inside the caves, and you're doing the stuff in there. So I like all that aspect of it. I just think it Caverna just felt a little cleaner too, a little bit more streamlined than say Agricola right. did. But I did enjoy Agricola. Um, for one of the earlier worker placement games, it still sings pretty darn well. Uh, I remember us going to buy your copy of Agricola, and we like into like the shady part. Not the shady. No, that part. was pretty nice. <laughs> that, that was a pretty nice, nice gated community. No, but going way out of our it was way. Very out of our way. Uh, to find this, to pick up your copy that you bought off Craigslist. Yes. Yes. And so yeah, it was really neat. But we we did play it. We did really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a good time with it. But I think just and people agree, Caverna just kind of does it a little bit better yeah yeah absolutely all right the first one i wanted to talk about was a game uh it's a roll and write game that came around the same time as patchwork doodle which we'll talk about later mm-hmm. but um it was very same uh company i believe this is second chance it's another one of his polyomino i saw that one write. yeah it's like a nine by nine grid or 11 by 11 something to that effect and <sighs> um and uh, the way it works is pretty simple you're you flip over a card and then you choose uh, which which of the cards. I think there's two. It's been a while since I played. But there's two you choose from. You draw that in. You're trying to fill in your board. Um, but at some point later on in the game, if you flip over a card and you are unable to draw it in, you get a second chance where you flip over a blind one from the top. And that's if you are able to pull it off and draw it in, you're able to survive, basically. Um, which... 
sounds like it shouldn't work, mm -hmm. but I swear that flip card works way often, <laughs> like way more than it should. Okay. And there's something interesting about that. Uh, it's okay. a cool little give and take. But other than that, it's just a really trying to fit the shapes in the, into the area. Okay. Nothing that's... too exciting. It does work. It's fun. It's enjoyable, but uh, second chance. All right. So the next game I am going to talk about here is one that was also mentioned in there and actually intrigued me. I do want to play this one. I've seen copies of it in the wild, but I just don't know. I don't, I'm not that big of a Rosenberg fan to go out of my way to pick this at full mm -hmm. price. But this one intrigues me because you're not feeding your people. You're feeding your bats because you're basically raising a bat farm to <laughs> collect their poop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. called a Tiwa. Uh, it looks really, really interesting. Uh, the cover is actually probably one of the better looking covers from that yeah. company. Yeah, that's pretty good. What is it, Lookout, I think? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's really cool. I, I do love bats. I think they're amazing creatures uh, for what they do. Um, you're basically, it's kind of like a worker placement. You're getting bats, you're trying to feed them fruit because you want to collect their guano because that's going to be like your points at the end of the game mm -hmm. and you're using them for different stuff. Um, it's actually based on like a historical, not historical, but stuff that's still, that's actually happening today because guano is a very important thing that people use for makeup, for any chemical reaction kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it's really neat uh, how they tied this into a board game and I do want to try this one a lot. Again, I just, something I don't want to pay full price for, but yeah. it intrigues me For a, a box of poop, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you're going to play with poop, let's let's play Wombat Rescue and lay down <laughs> some cubes, all right? Uh, the second one I wanted to talk about today was a a game that I played a while back when it was nominated for the Spiel de Jahres. It didn't win, okay. but it was nominated that year. And this is Nova Luna. Okay, okay, yeah. This was on this my short list because it looks, ones. yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Except, like, so each of the tiles has a couple different things. It has a general background, mm -hmm. um, whether it's orange, green, purple, or I think red. It was, like, kind of unfortunate color choices. Yeah, yeah. Really. There's a couple that are a little too similar. And you, it has a number of, like, uh, different colored dots on it that help describe, hey, look, these are the ones that it needs to be connected to in order for you to complete it. Um, unlike a lot of the others... You can take one of those, and it gives you a certain amount of time that you have to wait. You have to kind of, uh, you, know, you draft the tile, you put it in your in your field, adjacent to any of the t in any of the fields that you have already. And if you complete one of them, then you put out one of your completion tokens on it. Your first to get rid of their completion tokens wins. It works pretty well. It's a fun little puzzle. It's a okay. little weird um, that you. There is one thing about it that, like, let's say if one of the tiles needs like three green. Um, one of those green has to be adjacent to that tile to, in order mm -hmm. to score it, but then the rest of the group can meander off as long as it's connected to adjacent tiles. Okay. Which is always kind of weird, like, seeing, it's like, well, you can only count what's adjacent, or if there's other colors that are touching, but those aren't technically adjacent in the same line. Mm -hmm. That's a little weird. Yeah. But once you get past that, it's fine. Um, Nova Luna, that's my number two. All right, so my last one here... Is an old game that just was announced recently getting a reprint. Uh, so the pick for me here was Babel. It looks like an interesting little two-player game. They're turning it into, yeah, it's generic fantasy, basically Clash of Magic, or mm -hmm. Clash of Magic is what it's called now, where you're basically rivaled headmasters of sorcerer schools, mm -hmm. and you're trying to compete in this tournament or something to say you're the better school, and it's oh. card play and stuff like that. It looks really intriguing. 
Uh, Babel looks like one of the most boring games I've ever seen based on that cover. But mind yeah. you, this was, what, 2002 or something like that? Yeah. So it looks really, really cool. Um, I did see this. I'm like, okay, that may be going on my short list. And then I looked into the, how the game plays. And it's basically just tactical card play in a sense. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by this. So I pick Clash of Magic or Babel whenever I can play. Yeah. Now, I used to own this one. Did you? Yeah, I used to. Um, it was interesting. It had some really fun things to it. It just it didn't stand out in my mind. I'm having a hard time remembering it. And I think I played it only about three mo- three or four months ago. Really? Like, it wasn't long ago, and I ended okay. up trading it away. Um, yeah, it was cool for what it did. Yeah. But not it's enough to play it yeah. Clash of Magic, I, I do love, like, that Harry Potter-esque type yeah. stuff. The magicians oh, yeah. and stuff like that. W- wizards, not magicians. The Like, you. <laughs> Ah, uh, good times. <laughs> All right, <laughs> my third one, my, the final one. And this is the one I really wanted to highlight because it was brought up in the honorable mentions list. And uh, I 100% agree with it. This is the one that if you had played it, that we would be able to make some really strong arguments for. Okay. And uh, this is Ray Colt. Okay, yeah, yeah. Ray Colt, I am very impressed with. This, this is one of my favorite. Uwe Rosenberg games. Easily. And I like all the ones that are on the top eight are absolutely there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I get why they're there. Um, but Ray Colt would easily be like slotted in and we'd be arguing. Honestly, I I would take... Because uh, I've seen Ray Colt. I've just never played it, so I can't right. really make an argument about it. But I'd probably play it over like Patchwork Doodle or sure. some yeah, of the yeah. other stuff here. But and, and some of the things that makes it interesting so that it's fairly standard worker placement. Although... Certain rows, if you put one, uh, like one of your workers on one with a flag, mm-hmm. you can't put another one on, on a flag in that same column. Mm-hmm. So, like, th- it's like that's a really good ability, and so you just can't do that again. Um, and one of the things is you're trying to trade in your vegetables and your crops for uh, essentially points in a way. Okay. You're tr- climbing up, you're serving people, and it first starts off needing one, uh, e- each person needs a single vegetable, and it just goes through all, all five of them. And then everybody needs two, then three, then four. So by the time you're serving four vegetables to somebody, you're already like 20 points, technically. But it's not really points. It's whoever gets the farthest on the tables. Because if you ever come up to a table, let's say I trade in um, a potato, because I have the potato. I don't remember if the potato's in it. but And then a carrot, and then a cauliflower, but I don't have a lettuce. Because I think that's one of the one of the next ones. It's, I'm sure that's out of order, so don't yell at me. I don't have to memorize. But... If you don't have one of those on the serving tables, you can skip it and instead receive one of those vegetables. Mm, okay. And so I could do like the carrot and the cauliflower, skip the lettuce, take it, but then I have tomatoes so I can play that table and continue going as long as I have the stuff as far as I can. And you're allowed to skip over one table and receive it, which is really interesting. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's also some special ability cards, which are really powerful. And one of the worker placement spots lets you go there and take one of those work, those abilities. But if you're ever playing, let's say we're playing a four-player game, and you and I are sitting next to each other, if I have that ability, you could go to the spot and go, you know what, I like that ability, and we put it between us, and then now we both have it, and then it's locked <laughs> in place. And so that's cool. Yeah. You, know, you can't directly affect the person across the table from you, but you can absolutely, like, screw them pair, over. Well, you can pair up with the people next to you, and it's kind of like, oh, you did the hard work, but you know what, I'm 
I want in on that. that was, that's a really good deal. I yeah. like that. You know, and that's really fun. And so those like two little things just completely upend it and make it just a really fun experience. So I like it. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Cool. All right, so let's get into this, our top eight debate here. You want to tell us what the brackets are like? That's right. We're going to go our top eight highest ranked games on Board Game Geek that you and I have both played. That will be our number one seed, Feast for Odin. Going up against our number eight seed, Bargain Hunter. Our number two seed, Caverna. The Cave Farmers. The Cave Farmers, not the two-player version. Yeah, uh, number versus our seven seed, Patchwork Doodle. Number three seed, Le Havre. Going up against our number six seed, New York Zoo. And our number four seed, Patchwork. Going up against our number five seed, one of our favorite games, Bonanza. Bonanza, that's right. So this will be a fun, this will be a hard one. Oh, me, honestly. Very, like, very Some difficult. of them, like the matchups are really, really mm-hmm. good. I think like only one of them I would pick another game over the other one. But like our first one here that we're talking about, Feast for Odin versus Bargain Hunter... I really enjoy both of these games, mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised. I kind of want to play Bargain Hunter over Feast for Odin. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because I absolutely want to play to play that, and for reasons which we'll explain later. Yeah. But um, let's talk about how we actually rank these. I'm glad you brought it up, like how it's going to be difficult because we're going to talk about how we try to take our bias out of it. Yeah. We have five criteria that we meet for each of our top eight debates, and that includes ease of play. And that's how simple the mechanisms are, the likelihood of getting it to the table, whether it's the mechanism or the theme, or how easy is it to learn, teach, and understand. Um, And then our next criteria is the replay value. The length of time and scaling of the game um, is a two-player game almost relatively the same amount of time as a four-player game. You know, time is going to be added if you add players, but is it the same? Not always. Not always, but yes. Uh, Minimum number of plays of the full experience. This is a leg up for some campaign games because you have to play them multiple times. Mm-hmm. And the expandability. It refresh. Yeah. You know. And the expandability. Already existing expansions, up to one possible future expansions. If there's a volume one, we're assuming there's going to be a volume two. Or it's confirmed by the designer or publisher. Then we have meaningful choice. How well does your strategies impact the other players? How much depth do you have in your strategy, tactics, or skills? And then finally, do arbitrary choices or analysis paralysis affect your gameplay as well as others? Uh, next up here, we have game immersion. Is the game fun to lose? That's a big thing, because I'm okay if I'm losing and getting my butt handed to me as long as I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. But if I'm seeing I'm out after the first round and just miserable at the rest of the table, it's not going to lead to a good time. Uh, the player interaction, which includes the table talk, in the role playing, are you getting into your stuff, or the trash talking is one of our big things in our group. Right. Yep. Uh, in yes, the, it is. <laughs> in the memorable moments uh, that make you stand out, that laugh, uh, that make you giggle because something's very familiar, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And then lastly, the art and production. How well does the art portray to us? Now, a lot of the artists are using the same companies for this, mm-hmm. but that may change. The pieces and quality of components, and finally the graphic design. How easy is it to read? Do you need? Do you have icon base? Or most importantly of all for us, is it colorblind friendly? Mm-hmm. Which uh, a lot of these, not so much. Not so much. Uh, but when it all else fails and we can't come to a consensus, that's why it's important for you to vote in our poll at Board Game Revolution Community on Facebook. We put a poll there every time we do a top eight debate. 
you decide the tiebreaker. That's right. So let's get into this. We have our first matchup. Feast for Odin versus Bargain Hunters. Our number one versus number eight seed. Daniel, you have the Cup of Doom. I have the Coin of Doom. We'll see who argues first. Here we go. As you drop it. I will be starting first. You get Feast for Odin. Of course I do. All right, so Feast for Odin. Is this not his magnum opus? It really it, is. It really, I mean, this is the highest rank. This is number one seed for a reason, and that's because pretty much he's used his entire 20-plus years of game design and put it into this game. Yes. I mean, really, this this game is massive. And I know They're, some people will be like, whoa, no, it's not that bad. It's like they, a medium weight. No, you're wrong. Yeah. Because it's a big heavyweight Euro game. He practically throws every game that he's ever created in yeah. this one game. Yeah. You like patchwork? It's here. Yeah. You you like uh, Caverna? Well, you got to feed your people in this one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you like you're farming. You're either battling ships. You're upgrading your stuff. You're giving the feast for Odin. Yeah. You know by Polyominoes. There's there's more mechanisms in just a portion of this game than there is in most others. Yes. So that being said, as far as Euro games go, this is basically a sandbox, and there's a reason it's ranked this high because. It's not just that it's a game for everybody, because it's definitely not. No. Um, our experience, like, it was fine. I we, enjoyed it. We enjoyed it, but honestly, right. neither one of us have to own it in our collection, because no. one of us, own, or one, one of, of us our group it. already owns it. And the often, the likelihood of us playing it continuously, that's it's not as common. Uh, I, I hear Dice Tower talk about these games all the time. This, yeah. for sure, is a lifetime game. So it's something that, mm-hmm. if you're going to play it, this is going to be the one thing you play a lot of. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and and so, like I said, the people who really like this style of game really like, like this, this style one, of yeah. game because it really does hit on all those things. Now, there was one thing that really genuinely surprised me when we when I played it, and uh, I think you agree with me, is that this is one of his only games that has dice combat, <laughs> which <laughs> is really weird. weird. Yeah, honestly, that's bizarre that there's dice combat in a Euro game. But there's dice combat in a Euro game, and it actually works. And it does really well. Like, surprisingly well. Yeah, and it, and it, uh, this is Uwe Rosenberg's point salad. Yes. Uh, so we say this a lot with Stefan Feld. You can get your points anywhere you want, but you also got to be careful. There is negative points. Yes, that's right. You got to make sure you feed your people. Mm-hmm. And not yeah. just that, you got to make sure at the end of the game you have your little touch, or your little Tetris piece covered. Yep, yep. So it's it's definitely an interesting game. Um, the one time I played it, we I'm very glad we did. Yeah. Um, but I was also guaranteed it's like, no, nah, I don't need to have this anymore. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I always was intrigued by it. I always wanted to play it, but I didn't want to pay that price for one thing for it. Right. Two, I didn't want to punch all those punch boards because that was a lot. Yep. And two, when we played it, I'm like, yeah, no, this is only going to be played with this group, so That's I right. don't need to own it. My wife would probably enjoy it, but she'd be bored with it after like an hour because this also, it's a long game. Yes. When we're talking about scaling well at a four-player, I think it took us, what, four hours to play? It's basically yes. an hour per player. And Very mind long. you, everybody was new, so uh-huh. understandable. I think you can get it in a four-player to three hours if everybody's consistently and know how to play this game. That's a big if, because this game is long. Yep, yep, that is. All right, your argument for <laughs> Bargain, Bargain Hunters. Hunter. Well, I'll tell you one thing for sure. This is not winning art production. No, it's not. No. no. Though, a lot of people like the art style in this one because it makes them remember an old movie from their day, The Brave Little Toaster. It really does. Yeah, it, that's 
that literally the cover is, is just like a stark gray cover. Yeah. And then a washing machine that looks like it's straight out of a, a Brave Little Toaster movie. But in all honesty, it is a neat little trick-taking game. So you're taking tricks, and I'm trying to remember this exactly how it went. You're taking mm -hmm. tricks, and you're only going to score what's on top. So, like, if I have toasters, those are the one tricks I'm going to take, mm -hmm. or I'm scoring. So all the other tricks underneath me are not all that great, but then they're also going to become your cards for the next round, if I remember yes. correctly. So well, you're, you're, you want to score certain sets, sets and certain yes. things that, that apply to you specifically. Um, whatever you're gaining the most of, that, that's going to be the most valuable. Score, yeah. So even if you're not trying to win the trick, you're still trying to win the cards. Yes. So it's interesting how it works. Uh, it's And it's been a while since we played it, but I want to play this one mm -hmm. again because I really, really did enjoy it. Yep. Uh, in fact, our one of our mutual friends, Gamehead Geek, not a fan of trick-taking games. There's very few trick-taking games he enjoys. Little Devil's one, he actually enjoyed playing this once he gronked it. He's like, okay, this was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so we had a good time with it. It's not going to win art and production, but I will say it wins ease of play, even with it being a trick-taking. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and you got to learn certain yep. things about it. But, yeah, no. But Feast for Odin is really good. But, honestly, out of these two games, I'd play this one again. I And I agree. I 100% I like this game better. Um, I don't think it should move on. Yeah, I agree. It does. It shouldn't move on because honestly, we'll double check just in case. Art production is Feast for Odin. Yes. Game immersion is probably Feast for Odin because yeah. there's a lot of cool stuff. Like when our friend Dom broke the game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when he got really excited about that. Right. Much more meaningful choice in Feast for Odin just because of where you got to go and different ways you can do it. Yeah. You concentrated on the dice battling. Yes. And that's how you did a lot of your points. I concentrated on the growing in the garden and stuff like that and that's how i got my points and i fed my people so i didn't get you know punished for that yep um there's a lot more game immersion or meaningful choice in that as well even though i mean for a trick-taking game there is a lot of meaningful choices in bargain hunters yeah. uh and then the replay value that's beast road that's beast road yeah so beast road moves on round one is done Forgive us while we have write a moment this of silence. Yeah, write and that. next right. one is Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Not to be mistaken for the two-player version of Caverna. I forget yeah. what that one's called. All caves big and small. Yeah. No, I know that's not it. Nah, it's something. That's the Agricola Club version. All creatures big and small. Caverna versus Patchwork, Patchwork Doodles. Doodles. Here we go. I'll be starting off. Almost you get lost Caverna. Again. I'm going for the big guns here. Yeah. Now Caverna is one that I will like hard argue and i really like patchwork and i own patchwork doodles don't get me wrong i like it a lot doodles is a really neat uh role play, yeah. uh, uh what is it uh, what do they call rolling right there we yeah, go yeah rolling right but here's the thing caverna there's a reason this unseated agricola mm -hmm. that's because you could stick you could do everything that you normally could in agricola just in caverna and still have a fighting chance to win if you're really efficient at it but what you do is you have um, a board that is half farmland or ranch land um, outside, basically, and mm -hmm. half that is underground, and you have to dig it out. Now, there's a bunch of cool stuff that's underground, like your dwarves that are going under there. You can have some animals, but mainly you're trying to big, dig paths amongst your cave. Mm -hmm. You're trying to find uh, the right minerals to gather from there, or you're um, you know just hunting for general treasures. Or you can start farming on the outside, where you can raise 
animals of different types. You can grow crops, which will have different ways that you can sow and them. And you have to feed your people. So. And you have to feed your people, which you mainly live inside of the inside of the cave, yeah. which is pretty cool. But the way the worker placement part of this that makes it sets it apart, and I still don't see this hardly anywhere else. And this is what I love about it, is that you start off with just you know a handful of spots that you can go to. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes for those same spots, and then every round a new worker placement spot so appears. Up. Yep. Why doesn't more things do that? That's such a smart idea. I do like that. Uh, the closest I think that does something like that is uh, Viticulture, where it just goes into the different seasons. But even then... But uh, every season's the same. Or like, not, every yeah. season, not every season, but like every year is the same. Yeah, every right? year is the same. I mean, like that's cool. But again, like, I, like that expanse of growing and growing. The only thing I've seen like, that's close to it is Viticulture. Right. I mean, yeah, and, and it's not that common, but it's still... I've seen one other game that does it. It's called uh, My, um, Holmes, Mycroft vs. Sherlock. Oh, okay. And it's just a two-player worker placement that does it. And they both work really well, but it's just that... The way this one works is so brilliant. How, how you have, you know, this very, very expansive options of what you could do. Mm -hmm. You can either build houses and upgrade your homes. You can get cattle and raise them for points. You can breed them. You can grow crops. You can dig in your tunnels. You can find these minerals. You can do all of these crazy things. The world is your oyster, and Caverna proves that. I wholeheartedly think this should move on. And the thing about Caverna, though, you, there is one thing. You need to concentrate on, like, one yes. or two of those things. You need to make sure you got grow your crops to feed your people, or you're getting food somehow to feed your people. Yep. But you, uh, if you try to dabble in everything and be a jack of all trade, master of none, yeah. you're not going to compete. Gonna no, you have to specialize. And so I kind of agree with you that Caverna is going to move on. I do have to argue Patchwork Doodle, and it's yep. a fine little roll and write. Um, this one is like you're rolling a die and you're putting patterns in your thing, and you want to cover as much space as you possibly can in Patchwork Doodle, because as like any of his polynomials, if you don't cover spaces, it's negative points at the end of the mm -hmm. game. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, our my friend Maria really enjoyed it because she likes quilts and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty neat when I lent it to them during uh, the lockdowns. Um, and it's a fine game. It's fun to play. Uh, I had a good time with it. But in all honesty, it went up with a juggernaut. So I honestly can't disagree with Caverna moving on. Because okay. you look at everything. Probably the ease of play is the only thing that um, yeah. Patchwork Doodle sure. would. Because it's a very simple, like, 20-minute game. Yeah, because replay value, Caverna. Meaningful choice, Caverna. Because, again, when it comes to the dice rolling, that's an arbitrary choice. You're stuck yep. with whatever's been rolled. Uh, game immersion, <laughs> Caverna. Caverna, yeah. Uh, I remember it, uh, a mutual friend who recently passed away. We mentioned it, Lencho. Mm -hmm. um, he was really, really loving that little combat system because yes. like, he liked that little... He very much liked that. He enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so... He got really got into it, and of course, the art and production pretty nice for a game as old yeah. as Caverna is. That's right, cool. So, I agree, Caverna moves on, mm -hmm. and they'll be fighting against whatever shows up winner of probably this next one. We'll see more Maybe. than likely. Um, uh, just in case if, if the next one the lower seed wins, then no, it will not face it. Well, we'll see. All right, more than likely, though, go ahead and talk our next round round three Le Havre versus New York Zoo two of the most different games on this list that's my water not the 
You just try to pull the out of the cup of doom and dunk your hand. In my water, yeah. Well, you know, you're you're getting your fingers wet so you can pull out the right post-it note. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what it was, right? Yep, yep. It's like how people lick their fingers to pull, like flip pages and stuff. You'll be starting. Well, I only do that in my books, but yes. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, I get New York Zoo. All right. Which is interesting because I actually like this game a lot. This is actually one of my favorite games on this list. Yeah. Lahav is fine. I understand why people like it. It's mm-hmm. really neat what it does, and it's. Again, one of those heavier ones. So there's a reason why that is number three. But New York Zoo, I think, is a hidden... uh, I wouldn't say a hidden gem, but it was like a diamond in the rough. It kind of just came and went. No one actually really paid attention to it. And you're thinking, okay, Uwe Rosenberg's like this big name. You think Mm -hmm. you would see it more. I mean, I picked my copy off on clearance at uh, Barnes & Noble because they were just pushing it out for 15 bucks. I was like... All right, I'll try this out. We all played it as a group. Uh, we've played it a couple times in our game group. Yep, I like and, it a lot. And it's really, really neat. Because first off, it's a race. That's all it is. You're yeah. the first one to fill up your zoo wins. you got different ways of doing it because you're trying to breed your animals. You're trying to move your pieces. Kind of does the patchwork uh, aspect of movement. You can only move so far on the track. If you cross a certain threshold, you get to breed that specific animal. And you pick up a tile, um, the top tiles have less space compared to the bottom tiles because you want to fill up your bigger space. Um, you can breed your things, you can only keep so many animals to the side before you put them into the exhibit. Mm-hmm. Once you pull a new territory, you can move that animal down into that territory. Um, and then if you have two, when you pass a breeding, you can add the breeding. Once you fill up all the spots of animals in there, you get to take a bonus tile uh, out of a, like different stacks of the bonus tiles. It does a lot of intriguing stuff. It's a very simple game. It looks intimidating to some people because you see all these little different tiles. But I've showed this to my other game group and they fell in love with it, especially my friend who's big into penguins and she's got a penguin tattoo. And there's like the penguin meeple, so she was really excited about that. Yep. It is, it's a very, very simple game. It's very well produced with the great components and stuff like that. Honestly, if I had to choose between these two games, I would pick New York Zoo 10 out of 10 times. And now, you were the one who, I think, played Lahav with me. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Now, we only played it a long time ago. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, I know you're moving along the track. You know, you're leapfrogging. That Mm -hmm. determines the turn. Um, And And you're going down that river because that's the the time. Yeah. And so, the way this works is pretty simple. You're trying to get different types of resources, similar to uh, Agricola, you know, getting the different types of resources refining them, selling them for points, or applying them to get buildings. Now, one of the cool things about it is that there's a slew of different, like, materials. I want to say, like, eight or something. And each of those has a double side to it, Mm -hmm. which makes it, like, the upgraded version of it. So, like, you can get, um, like, wood and then put it into charcoal. You can get clay and then build it into bricks. Yeah. And 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 build better buildings. into food or whatever. Yeah, and so, again, you do have to feed your people in Mm -hmm. this. Uh, as with a lot of games in his style at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a hard one to compare between. But one of the little subtle things that I, I don't know if you remember, the the stacks of buildings. Yeah, I remember the stacks of buildings. You would shuffle them all up, and then you would deal them into three different columns, and then you put the columns in order mm-hmm. of what's there. And so only the top card of each of those is available, which is a really fun idea, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's a cool little way to balance stuff, is that, you know... Like you're you're getting the cheapest out of all three of the piles, but if some if one of the piles got like a random building that was just pretty expensive and everything else was too, 
well then, you know, that'll sit around for a little while while you're dealing with all these others. It gives, like, a cool little um, immersive, like, replay value yeah. that, that randomizes a little bit. Instead of just being the same old thing again and again, which is something that doesn't always happen. Um, Lahav is really highly ranked for a reason. It, above it's a New good York game, yeah. Um, and it is about efficiency. That's what that's what the game is all about. Yeah. Not, not so much satisfying combos, which I think New York Zoo has much better much of. Better, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, that is all about comboing in the best way possible. Whereas, you know, Lahav just works. It, it's just a smart little work placement game. Classic for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to have to break this down because... I, yeah, no, I don't disagree. Yeah, while I don't disagree with you for New York Zoo, that is probably my favorite of the two right now, I think we got to give it its fair chance. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, I don't disagree, and we'll get that going. Uh, Ease of Play, I think, is New York Zoo. It's Okay. Because, it, honestly, that movement aspect is very simple. Yep. The, Move one, two, or three spots. One, two, or three spots, and yep. then you fill up your tile, and mm -hmm. then if you have animals, you place them into the thing. Yep. Once you pass the breeding point... You get a baby, just put it in there, mm -hmm. and you fill it, and you just get more tiles. That's all. Well, it is. everyone gets the babies. Yeah, well, everybody yeah. gets it, but I'm just saying, if you fill a tile, you get more tiles. You just place it. It's basically just spatial awareness, yeah. you, where you've got to fit things, where you can put it all in there to be the one to cover first. Mm -hmm. Lahav has a lot of moving parts. It's it is a worker placement aspect, but yes. then you have the the time track, which is down the river, oh, and the fact that you can go to other people's buildings mm -hmm. too. That's really awesome. Sorry. I just remembered that right now as you were speaking. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Go on. No, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. No, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that was just like a lot of the innovations that Lahav did. Mm -hmm. Like, it, But you're right. I mean, it's a combo-tastic puzzle for New York Zoo. But Lahav kind of innovated worker placement in a, in a way. In a way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so Ease of Play, I say, goes to New York Zoo. New York Zoo. Replay value goes... I to Lahav, because I don't think yes. either one has an expansion, if I remember correctly. No. I know there's promos for Lahav. No, just the way the buildings lay out, that's really the yeah. big benefit to it. Uh, meaningful choice. Both of them have a lot of meaningful choice. Uh, you do have a lot of impact in New York Zoo on other people's strategy, because if you move it a certain point, and if someone's like specifically just needs right. a certain token... Because it will help them get a closer right. to finish. Because like, if I do this, and then I that will make these things breed. And then I could do this and this. And so they're like, I just need them to move it a couple times. And I can see that and I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to move it here. Because right. you're next in turn. Which means you can't go the full three to get that piece for you. You have to stop one short, which yes. screws you over. Yep. And it, it, I've seen it done. Also, I've seen it where like we move it way past it. Because I rather need I need that piece. So I'm hurting you by helping myself as mm -hmm. well. Because I'm picking up a piece I need. And taking uh, uh, blocking you from getting to the piece you need because it's going to take you a little bit to try to set that thing up to be back there. Yeah. And so th that I do think there's a lot of good of that impacting other people's strategies. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot of uh, there's but there is a lot of depth. Depth in, in Lahav. A lot of it. Yeah. Both of them don't really have arbitrary choices that much. You're closer to getting into. AP more in Lahav than yeah. you would in the New York Zoo. So it's so just you like, would give meaningful choice to New York Zoo. Yeah. Okay. Just because the AP aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And now, as far as player interaction, again, you do you have much more player interaction in in um, New York Zoo. Yes. By far. Yeah, because of the way you're moving the yeah. around that track. Okay. Both are fun to lose. Honestly, I like both yeah. of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you lost both. You lost both of them. Yes, I have. <laughs> I've won um, 
New York Zoo a couple times too. Yeah. La Hav, I've only played the once, so. Yeah. It's just a fun little puzzle, really. So the memorable moments is like when you finally get it. I remember very distinctly when we were all playing. And you guys were like, man, I have this engine, I have these animals, and you look over at my board, and I'm just like, I have like six spots left. Yeah. But it also... So they're all right in this corner. And you're like, but also it kind of hurt you, you only had six spots left, because you couldn't take any of the big pieces. Right. <laughs> you had I, to, I just you had, had to, to make push sure, the game forward. Yeah, you had to breed yeah. your animals where you can get like the extra pieces. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's all that really could. And then I remember you looked over and you saw it, it's like, huh, this, this L-shape would fit perfectly in yours. Let's jump over that. <laughs> Knowing that it's my turn next. It's like, and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, but that definitely impacted me. All right, meaningful choice. And then I'm also going to give art and production New York Zoo. Okay, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the I, just, those animal but, meeples are so good. The, they are, they're brilliant. And yeah. the art on it is really great. Um, not Nothing bad again. I mean, the art has some fun, fun... Things like Uve packaging or whatever it's shipping or the yeah. SS Uve. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. Yeah. It's really cool, but yeah. Hop, but, but New York Zoo is really well done. Who who did Capstone, I believe? Yeah, that, that explains why. Yeah. Uh, so, so then New, New York, York Zoo moves, moves on. on. It will be going up against the Juggernaut Caverna. Which is... Uh, no, it will be going up against Feast for Odin. Oh, yeah, Feast for Odin. Even the other Juggernaut. The, the bigger Juggernaut. The Juggerer of the Nodders. Alright, All right. so... And our last one will be Patchwork versus Bonanza. There's one that I'm really ho hoping for right here. Here we uh -huh. go. You're picking first. Or not picking. you get to argue first. I get Patchwork. Let's go. Honestly, I don't mind Patchwork. I think it's a fun little two-player game. Honestly. Oh, I love Patchwork. You you are more enamored with Patchwork I than I am. Patchwork. I suck at Patchwork. I get negative scores when I play Patchwork because yeah. I just... I don't get it. I like New York Zoo. I can get that spatial puzzle a lot better than Patchwork and trying to move that little thing across where I can get my buttons to pay for things. It's just a pain in the butt. Uh, uh, pain in the button? I will say this, though, with Patchwork. Uh, pick your poison with this one because you have the original Patchwork. If you want to play one for Fourth of July, get the Americano one. If you want to play one for Halloween, get the Halloween version. If you want to play one for Valentine's Day, get the Valentine's Day version. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, Christmas version as well. Yep. The Halloween version has got to be my favorite because instead of buttons, there's it's a lot eyeballs. of balls. Yeah. yeah. So uh -huh. it's really neat how this one works because, again, like I said, you're doing this little track and you have to cross certain thresholds for every button you have in your quilt. Uh, mm -hmm. They'll give you buttons to pay, but you're moving along a circle where all the little tiles are and you're picking one but you got to be smart because you can only go what three spaces i mm -hmm. believe up to three up to three and then you have to pay the buttons uh for that for those depending on i can't remember exactly what it is yeah your, your turn is either you pet you go up to three spaces mm -hmm. and pay for the buttons by the patch which also give you a certain number of time yeah whoever's furthest back gets to take a turn Target, yeah. or your other option is to jump to the space in front of your opponent mm -hmm. and they immediately will get um or you'll get one one button for every space you've jumped. Jumped, yeah. And so it's intriguing how that works. Uh, the spatial awareness of it, too, is really neat. It's like, oh, you really need that one, but I need to fill up all these spots. But look at the buttons on that one, because that's going to give me you know, money to buy the next patch yes. that I need. So it's kind of intriguing how you have to do all that. And I love the fact that for a two-player game, it's got so much depth in it. Really where does. you have to be smart how you play and again i try to play as smart as i can i suck at this game 
But when it goes into like our, our game immersion, it is fun to lose. I mean, I because I am trying to figure out exactly what I'm doing, and I'm doing it wrong, apparently. <laughs> so I do like it. I honestly think Bonanza is a better game, personally. But again, taking my bias out of it. Yep, that's true. Um, I 100% think that as much as I really like Patchwork, and I don't want this to sound at any... Patchwork is probably my second favorite on this entire argument list. By far. I love Patchwork, but I... Bonanza is like my number two for a reason. There's that a reason I why it's Bonanza. still around. It, yes. it just had, what, its 25th anniversary? Yep. Yep, 25th they, anniversary last year. They just reprinted it because Best Soulbowl wanted to do Dahlia's. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, which we have, by the way. Yeah. Which is awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful art. Anyway, I don't like flowers, so I don't care. But, beautiful art. <laughs> Best Soulbowl is a Best Soulbowl is a great artist. Yeah. And so, yeah, th this is the game of bean trading. And bean farming. And wheeling and dealing beans. And it's so dumb. Mm -hmm. The theme is ridiculous. The art is not particularly amazing. But the game itself is one of the coolest negotiation games I've ever seen. You are negotiating who gets what bean. You're trying to press your luck a little bit by trying to build up your bean farms. You're just trying to go for more and more because the farther you get, the bigger your bean field, the more valuable it's going to be at the end of the round. But every single turn, you have a slew of choices that you have to get through before you're allowed to sell. And that first one is you must play the first card in your hand, which the hand can never change order. You yep. Love that. So you're forced to play whatever is in, in there. But since you're doing a lot of trading, if you don't like what's coming up, find a way to trade it. But you don't want to go empty-handed either. You don't want you can just donate somebody if they're okay with it. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want them to go, well, I mean, if why would I ever trade you for anything if you're just going to give me yeah, everything, yeah. right? It, you know, whatever. What's the point of this? So you got to make it sound like it's way better than it is, which... Yeah. Is very hard to bluff against if you have and two if stacks. I remember correctly when you're taking a card, it goes to the back of the row of the hand. No, it when goes you... immediately planted. Oh, it goes immediately planted. Yes. Okay. So if I have a big field of chili beans and a big field of, uh, of beans? coffee beans, oh. yeah, green beans, and then there's a there's um, a harvest bean up there, and I see you want it, and I definitely don't want it. How do I play it off so you'll take it and not completely rip me off by doing it? I can say, oh, we'll just remember this for later. Here you go. You're a good guy. Go go ahead. <laughs> or somebody could be like, well, I'll offer you like three chili beans for that. And then some people might say, well, I'll offer you four chili beans if you don't accept that offer. <laughs> you know, and then just completely derail everything. I yeah. love the negotiation that this game leads to. Because then after that happens, once you play either your first, uh, you have to play your first card in, in line, you may play your second card. Then two cards get revealed, you have to wheel and deal those. You can choose them, go immediately into your field, or you can trade them off. Then finally you draw three cards that go to the back of your hand, and then you look at them, and then decide if you want to sell. Like, that part is so good. That's what I remembered. Yes. The, the three cards are the ones yes. that go in the back of your hand. Because you play a card, then you get a up to two more cards, then you get three cards guaranteed, and then you're like... I mean, it's only four turns till I get to that other chili bean. Yeah. I could probably pull that off. You know? <laughs> like, and then you, just every little ounce, like, encourages you to press your luck. Encourages you to, like, keep pushing. Because you're like, man, I can get so many more coins from this. Ooh, do I want to do it? It's just such a riot. It plays three to seven players, which mm. is huge. That is one of... Mind and you, well. 
Mind you, that's the only one you want to play with seven players because if you yeah. play any of these other big ones, no. Oh, God, no. no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the shortest game in the world. A lot no. of these rolling rights are shorter. I mean, even uh, New York Zoo is probably short. Eh, maybe. Eh. It might be shorter. But it it's it's phenomenal game. I will very much argue for this to move on. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you, uh, but let, let's just break it down to be okay. fair, take our bias, because we really do love Bonanza a lot. Art and production, patchwork. Yeah, yeah. Ease of play. I'm going to say Bonanza. I'm going to say Bonanza just because the yeah. wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Honestly, if you got people who are pl- coming over from like something like Pit, right. they're going to be able to figure this one out. I know a lot of people that love Pit. Yep. Uh, replay value. Oh, neither? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean... Bonanza it, does have some Bonanza has the scaling. Yeah. It plays up to seven, seven players. players. Yeah. Patchwork is only two. That's it. And then the expandability with Patchwork is like, it's the same game, it's just different skins. Well, no, 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 no. They have a lot of different things, like specialty beans and different fields. And no, 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 no. I'm talking about like for Patchwork. It's it's oh, the yeah. same game, oh, yeah, but yeah. different. Uh, right. It's not any like expansions, it's yeah. just the same game with whatever, pick your flavor. Yep, exactly. Yeah, Bonanza does have a number of expansions. So they're all kind of crazy. Yep. Meaningful choice. I'm come back to this one. Game immersion, honestly, I think that Bonanza. is Bonanza. Yeah. Hands down. So I do think meaningful choice would go to Patchwork because it is a very strategic game. Yeah, it very much is. And yeah. so but it's three to two, game immersion. Yep. Uh yeah, it's three to two because we went ease of play, yep. replay value, Bonanza. and game immersion, Bonanza, meaningful choice in art production, patchwork. Yep. Alright, so Bonanza, Bonanza moves on. Moves on. All right, so let me just... And that was it for our quarterfinals of the eliminated games. We have Lahav, we have Patchwork, Patchwork Doodles, and Bargain Hunters. Let's see how the viewers rated those games. So the first one eliminated was Bargain Hunter. They had 1% of the vote, which shocks me a little bit. Uh, well, it's also like a hidden gem. It, it really is. It's a good game. Uh, I do enjoy it. And I don't. I think a lot of people who are any at all familiar with Uwe Rosenberg games probably aren't like the biggest trick takers, right? Yeah, pretty that's much. not really what he's known for. Uh, Patchwork Doodle also had one percent of the vote. Yep. What is the next one we have here? Lahav. This is gonna annoy a lot of people that yep. this got eliminated. Sorry about that. And then the last one was Patchwork, which is also gonna annoy a lot of people. But Lahav here had five percent, five percent of the vote. Interesting. Yeah. I, well, I knew the other two were going to be higher. And then finally, Patchwork had fourteen percent of the vote. Yep. Cool. Which was our looks like it's our second highest vote getter outside of some of the picks out there. In fact, it is the second highest out of all of them. So wow. that's saying something. Yep. Yeah, patchwork. People love that patchwork. And honestly, if it wasn't against Bonanza, oh yeah, yeah, it, it that's. I finally met somebody who didn't like Bonanza. Who? He he thought it was okay, at best. <laughs> yep. All right, going into the quarterfinals, we have Feast for Odin versus New York Zoo. Um, and also we have Caverna Cave Farmers versus Bonanza. This is going to be a fun semifinals. That's right. Here we go. You'll be arguing first. And I get New York Zoo again. Okay. 
this is this is gonna be a tough one because honestly, meaningful choice is Feast for Orden, hands down. Uh, I let's not claim that yet. Honestly, I I think for me personally, I would pick New York Zoo over Feast for Orden. Not saying Feast for Odin is not a good game. It was a fine game. I really enjoyed it. It's yes. probably out of the four. It's probably the least likely that I would play again anytime soon, just because of the time constraints with this one. Sure. How many moving parts are going in this one? I gotta dabble over here or dabble over there, and I again, it's kind of like Averna's argument. You don't want to be a jack of all trade, master of none. You kind of want to dabble just a few things, just not the farming, unless you want to feed your people. Make sure you pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but New York Zoo, it's just every time I play it, it just goes down like gangbusters because it, it's that spatial awareness, especially since I play with um, a bunch of people like us in um, my other group mm-hmm. who have like that puzzle aspect of it. So it's more likely to get to the table than say something like Feast for Odin just because of how big and intimidating Feast for Odin actually is. Meaningful choice, I think, uh, like I was saying, I think it is um, Feast for Odin, but where it does get knocked for Feast for Odin, you don't really have AP or arbitrary choices really messing you up too much in uh, New York Zoo. Sometimes, okay, i got to take a tile that I can't really... It doesn't work too well with what I need to do, but it isn't mm-hmm. going to hamper me either because right. if I take this tile, I'm almost done over here so I can fill up... Uh, now I'm closer to the breeding aspect of it, which means will allow me to finish this up over here. Well, I need that six-piece there. Can't get to that one. I'll take this four-piece here, and now I can go get a two-piece over there once I finish my thing. So there's ways to mitigate all that aspect of it. Yeah. So you're not basically forced into an arbitrary choice because there's ways to mitigate that sort of stuff game immersion for me new york zoo is hands down a much better interaction there was times when we were playing feast for odin we weren't talking we were just all looking down at our board looking up at the main thing and seeing where i could go oh someone went over there now looking down at my board okay now where, what can i do and stuff like that so you're trying to figure out what your stuff is and you're not really role playing or trash talking you're just the only time you really hear anything is like ah why'd you go there i needed to go there or something like that but all four of us were concentrating on different aspects of feast for odin it was very rare we were competing for like the different spots that we may have been competing for certain tiles or something like that but it wasn't too much uh really interaction too much this that one is a lot of the multiplayer solitaire game because you're just concentrating on being as efficient as possible with your stuff there's so much stuff on there you're not really going to get blocked off too much Uh, but with new york zoo there's certain things that we talked about where you can get blocked and moved and stuff like that and for me personally, I think the art production is much better in New York Zoo just because of how many different meeples that they give you or animeeples in this game. So for me, I think New York Zoo should move on, but let's hear what you got to say for Feast for Odin. All right, well, Feast for Odin, you know, I thought of an, an apt comparison is that in Feast for Odin, it's really kind of one of those things where it's less about who wins and more about do you succeed in the story you're trying to tell? Like, and I and I compare it kind of like to Western Legends. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we like Western Legends is the fact that it's it's absolutely sandbox, and you could have, you have just as much of a chance of winning playing poker and visiting the saloons than you do, you know, robbing trains or you know, 
like going around and, and digging through mines and all that stuff. There's a lot of different aspects to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like Feast for Odin is neat on that aspect because that's where I think it, it does actually win game immersion is because there is times where it's like, wow, at the end of the game, it's like, Daniel, did you build that Viking ship that you were aiming for? Like, did you get like the one, the, the one that everyone's going to be marveling at? Oh, did you fight this guy? Did you win, you know, this battle? Like, oh, wow, you've built an empire upon your feast. You're, Odin's going to be very happy upon... And, like, it's... Again, it's less about um, whether you got the more points and whether you were able to succeed at the aspect you were aiming for. Yeah. That I feel it wins in game immersion, whereas everyone... We're all building the zoo. Yeah. And, but really, those tiles don't make sense as far as the zoo goes. It's like, yeah, you're breeding animals. But you're really trying to over-capacity animals and then empty it just to fill spaces. Yeah, no, I That's get... kind of what you're doing, right? Um, it's a great puzzle, but it, I don't feel like it feels like a zoo for me. Yeah. And so even though you have those fun moments, like, and, and pretty fun moments and memorable moments, I feel like everyone's aspect ha leads to more memorable for Peace Broden. With that being said, that sandboxy nature, I feel like there's no... I feel like that's very arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Like, because you won't know until, like, ten games in whether you're going to have a meaningful choice or not. Um, as far as replayability... That goes to Feast for Odin for me. I, I feel just because it's it's there's no way you could play all of it in one sitting, no matter what. So ease of play, art and production, hundred percent agree with New York Zoo. Um, but meaningful choices where this is really going to matter. Um, while I feel like game immersion and and replay value is definitely Feast for Odin, I feel like meaningful choice is much more meaningful in New York Zoo. 100%. So I agree with you that I should move on. But now we're going to go into our next round. Caverna versus Bonanza. You ready, Daniel? I'm ready. Let's go. You'll be arguing first. Now get off from the Cup of Doom. I am getting Caverna. Alright. So this is going to be a tough one because these are some really good games. These are I both just, very good. Yeah. I love Bonanza so, so much. Yeah. But honestly, I just think Caverna is just slightly better as a game, per se, because there's a lot of... There is a lot of moving parts in there. The wheeling and dealing, and like, game immersion, for me, hands down, is Bonanza. But Caverna has a lot more meaningful choice in there, because you have to be smart how you play this game. We mentioned mm -hmm. it earlier. Yep. You can't be a jack-of-all-trades. You have to master something, or yep. a couple things. You want to make sure you feed your people... Um, if you're going to work in your cave, you better do it well. If you're going to do stuff in your, like, battling and, you know, push your luck on that aspect of it, too. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be proficient with that. You got to be smart with how you play this game. And for a worker placement game that's, what, 2008 or something like that? Something like that. It's, really it's really old. older. Oh. It still has a lot of depth to it. Yeah. And it's incredible quite amazing how much depth it is to it compared to some of the worker placement games that are coming out now yep. uh so this one has more depth than say something right above my shoulder over here fallout shelter the board game oh, yeah. which is a worker placement uh it has a lot of depth to it then and then it changes as you're playing because you don't know what's going to come up it always changes every gameplay 
what the new worker placement spots are going to be or what new abilities or something that's going to happen in there some sort of power you get from you know fighting the what is it the trolls or goblins that are coming after you yeah so it has a lot going on to it so you got to be smart at how you play I mean, you have to be smart about how you do Bonanza, but it's more about the wheel and deal aspect of it. Yeah. Um, like I said, game immersion for sure for me is Bonanza, but I think, and maybe ease of play, but like the art production in uh, Caverna is really good. The meaningful choice is really good. The replay value there, because you're not going to see everything in every game. It's going to take you right. a few games just to see what you get in the base box. And that's not to mention all the expansions that come, came out for it. All the promos if you want to hunt them down. Yeah. There's just a lot for Converna that I honestly think, as much as I hate to say it, because I love Bonanza so much, it should move on. Uh, well, you know, I'm going to argue for Bonanza, and I do agree with you that the game immersion, that's where it is top-notch, yeah. hands down. And I will give art and production to Caverna because while it's not amazing art and production, it is better than just a handful of cards yeah although those cards amigo really knows how to print yeah cards, they do so. really nice with cards what they have is really good but mm -hmm. the art is just che cheesy and as much as i love it yeah it's, it's not pretty no you know but that's that's part of the love for it you know it's yeah. like it's the reason people like pugs you know and... they're ugly but they're kind of like a cute ugly you know what i mean that's uh, yeah that's my argument for that um as far as uh, meaningful choice or re let's do replay value okay significantly for that there is a lot of expansions for bonanza there mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. there's a lot of different versions and stuff but caverna and agricola between the two like there's it's yeah. not even close like just new decks new packs of cards all that stuff like yeah. that that's a very common thing um however ease of play bonanza yeah and meaningful choice that that's where it boils down because now it's two and two yeah. Right. Meaningful choice is, is there more meaningful choice in Caverna with all of the slew of different options and there's no real bad choice to do? Or is the wheeling and dealing? Impact on other players' strategies, that's definitely as far, I mean, you got worker placement kind of block spaces, sure. Yeah. But really you're impacting other players directly in multiple aspects, multiple facets in Bonanza. Arbitrary choices, you kind of can in in Caverna. And, uh, you kind of can. AP is a thing. AP. Now I'll give you the AP aspect of it. Yes, sure. the arbitrary choice is not really because you have to be efficient with how you use your workers. You only have sure. so many workers. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not gonna go to that spot because it makes no sense for me to go to that spot. Right. Okay, this is a much better spot if I go here. It's not a great spot, but it's still a better spot than the one over there. So it's not really arbitrary choices. You do have choices. The AP, I will give you, because we did play with someone with AP. Yeah, and it, and was, it, does have... it was excruciating. So but, that means meaningful choice is a push. Yeah, but the, the other thing, too, about the impacting other players, uh, I want to go back to your mentioning how like the wheeling dealing, that's a big thing that yes. can impact... It does, but it could also be a negative, too, because there could be that one person that's just like, no, why, why why, would I trade these three beans to you if you're only giving me that one measly bean? Or... Right, but they're not going to get a deal, and they're going to be the ones who stuck planting over the stuff that they have yeah. already. You can't not do that. So, <laughs> like, like say in Monopoly, you could always do the holdout strategy yeah. and just wait it out and just assume it's going to pay off yeah. and, and not have fun with the trading. 
but you can also lose pretty easily that way. That's True. kind of the idea. It's very, very difficult not to, right? Bonanza just leads to that. It's like if you're... I love it when every time when, when I teach new players how to play Bonanza, and we're all playing, and then I throw the, I'll give you a chili bean not to take that deal. <laughs> just flat out. And everyone's like, you can do that? Why not? Okay. You can accept that. I just, I, I feel like I'm willing to call it a push. All right, we'll call it a push. Going to the vote right now. Pulling it up. Uh, Bonanza yep. is at 6%, 6% of the vote. And... Caverna is... 9. 9, so more than that. So... Caverna moves on, fair and square. All right, Bonanza. See, this is why it's important you guys vote. Yep, that's right. So if you're pushing for Bonanza as hard as we were, uh, then um, too bad. Yep, so uh, <laughs> number two, Caverna, moves on to face the number six, uh, New York Zoo. By the way, I don't know if you needed it, but, or if you knew this, but your computer needed restarting. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> he has a pop-up. There's a pop-up. It's like, oh, he needs to restart right now. We'll do that later, pod, not podcast app. You need to calm yourself. All right, anyway. Now into our finals. We're going... Oh, wait, no, let's let's talk about... What was the votage for the ones that got eliminated? eliminated? So our number one seed, Feast for Odin, was also the number one vote-getter at 26%, and we just talked about Bonanza at 6% of the vote. Yep. So that's interesting. It always needs to... Yeah, no, it's just... It has to deal with my antivirus... Of course, he has to bring it up in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's you know well. I, in my in my defense, I didn't bring it up. Your app did. You could have just pointed it out instead of mentioning it on the no, podcast. No, but that wouldn't have been funny. No. Yeah, no, I thought it was hilarious. All right, and then feast for Odin. How much percentage did that get? I said twenty six percent. Twenty six percent. More than a quarter of the people. See, he's no, so worried no, about no, no, making listen. a joke on no, the podcast bringing, about a pop-up coming I am up. bringing this back up to emphasize the absurdity that we just voted off one that only a fourth, only a fourth of our viewers voted for, and everything else, or more than a fourth, actually, of our viewers voted for that. That, that, well, if you weren't so worried about making a pop-up joke on my screen here, you would have heard me say it earlier. Pop-up jokes are the, some of the best kind of jokes. No. Yeah, it's like knock-knock jokes, you know. No. Speaking of knock-knock. No. Uh, come on, move it. Let's move it. Let's knock, go. Knock. We, we, go no, go we had a long enough break. Yes. Let's keep going. I'm not playing this game. No, just, just say who's there. Knock-knock. Go, go ahead. All right, someone from the audience, because then I'm going to have to keep going. One of our listeners, either Crate, Illuminous, go ahead and say, who's there? Knock, knock. Ready, ready to go. And yes, I'm waiting, and I don't think they're feeding into it. Yes, we're doing that. Thank you, Crate. Our finals is there. So let's get into New York Zoo versus Caverna for our finals. <laughs> Daniel wants you to put him out of his misery by this. Now, this side, we do not flip the coin. We do not pull from the Cup of Doom. We <laughs> break this down category by category. Uh, to take our bias out of it. Our finale is New York Zoo versus Caverna. You're ready, Daniel. Now you're making the podcast take longer. I'm okay with this. I'm ready. Send your hate mail to Daniel at everydayboardgames.com. Better make sure you don't come with caffeine anymore. <laughs> All right. So, is there any categories amongst those that are immediately obvious? You didn't explain the rules how we do this. I did explain the rules. No, you didn't. So we break it down. We don't take sides. 
We have the five criteria, and we bring it up. I did. If you weren't too distracted by my joke an hour ago, then you would have known this. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we have the five criteria. Let's break it down. Is there any that are immediately obvious to you? On New York's ease of play. Yes, I agree with that. Ease of play goes to New York Zoo. And uh, art and production, New York Zoo. Art and production, New York Zoo. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's much easier to see some. Yeah. The problem sure. with uh, uh, Caverna and Agricola at when, when they came out, they're not colorblind friendly. They're not colorblind friendly, true, but they do also have the animals as well. They do also have the fencing. They have a lot of the resource bits, you know. They have a lot of the same good wooden qualities yes, to it. Yes, it does have a lot of the same. But again, graphic design and colorblind friendly has always been a knock. New York Zoo doesn't have that problem. The one thing I have against New York Zoo, though, and I do, and I do think that this is a legitimate knock to it, is that the board has those recesses for the for the tile pieces, mm -hmm. and the way that it tells you first off to shuffle out the pieces, to throw them in the box and mix them around, and then pull them randomly, and yet that layout is weird. But then also those weird notches into the board are completely unnecessary and honestly look really weird to me. Yeah, they're fine. They're just a, like if the board gets knocked, they stay in their little spaces. Trust me, I've not seen it. really. They do it a lot better than if they didn't have those notches. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that I just... It no, I, I honestly... I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying, like, uh, I don't think it's, like, that clear-cut as, as you... Oh, no, it's, again, it's not colorblind friendly. I struggled when we played Caverna because yeah. there are certain things like, oh, is it this or is it this? And I had to keep asking. Sure. That's not fun if I have to keep asking if something... It's like that... What is that? That Diamond Rush game that we were playing from Haba where you're trying to get like the oh, little diamonds yeah. off. Uh, Hammer Time. Hammer Time. It was a struggle. Is that blue or is that purple? What is that? And it's the same thing with Caverna. Yeah. And so that was that's my big knock of Caverna. It's just... And the same thing with Agricola. Feast for Odin's not that bad. Um, a little bit easier. The blues and the purples are a little... Eh. Right. But yeah, no. I, I think... Art and production. New York okay, too. that's fine. Okay, so ease of play, art and production. Replay value. Very clearly Caverna. Caverna. Yeah, there's, there's, there's more expansions. You can handle almost as many players. Um, that, and it's just an expansion. Because Caverna, Caverna's four, right? Or is it five? Yes, four or five. It might be five, actually. Because I think New York Zoo is five. Yeah, it's something that five. But yeah. it's not much... It's not much but, different. I mean, I, New York Zoo plays a lot quicker than Caverna. I, I don't think it plays that much quicker. I mean, it, it is no, quicker. No, 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 no. Caverna it, can be played fairly quick. I mean, it's not like light and day, but I, I do think it's it, no, mm -mm. no, no. I, I, I'm right, saying right. replay value is Caverna just because okay. of all the expandability. Right. But I, I think scaling. New York Zoo, uh, the scaling. Fair enough. I yeah. think that's the only one that it will get to New York Zoo because sure. that when then we go to like the minimum number of plays for the full experience, if you play New York Zoo once, it's going to be the same game every time you play it. That's Caverna true. changes as yeah, you go. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. All right, so then we have uh, game immersion. Again, because of the open, uh, the open field nature of it, you know, no pun intended, like it, it just feels like a sandbox game. It really does. Caverna? Yeah. Um, because game immersion, I don't feel like you're building a zoo. I don't feel like no, a lot I get of the that. mechanisms justify the... But again, we took all that out. It, the three criteria we go with is the game fun to lose, the player right. interaction, and the memorable moments. Yes. 
both games lead to really good memorable moments. Like I sure. mentioned, our, our recently passed away friend, Lincho, he, his whole thing was fighting those goblins. And he yes. had a blast doing it, and we egged him on a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're doing our own thing. Uh, the player interaction, again, with the egging on and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, but we There's get not that... much table talk for anybody, yeah. for either of the games. But yeah. yeah. Sure, okay. Both are really fun to lose. I enjoy playing both yeah. these games. Yeah, you can have fun no matter how you I play. play yeah, because... Like me, I, I've always mentioned this before. I'm a chaos player. I don't yeah, care. You are. I don't care how things work. If I find something, I want to latch on it and see if it's going to work or not. Yes. Whether I get my butt handed to me in a game, it's fine. I wanted to see if this works. It didn't work. Oh well. Oh, I'll wow. try again later sometime. Right. Sometimes it wins. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's mm-hmm. it's fun to try different aspects of the game. And that's why I, I like for me like Caverna. It is fun to lose because there's just different things I can do and latch on. And okay, that didn't work last time. Let me try this version, or let me do it this way. You know what? I'm not even gonna concentrate on the cave. Let me just work on the farm and the outside of stuff, and I'll have my couple basic rooms. But yeah. so yeah, uh, stuff like that. And New York Zoo is fun to lose, but in all honesty, it's just a, more of a spatial thing. You're like, oh man, if I had a couple more turns, it yeah, yeah. it's fine. Player interaction, I think there's more in Caverna just because of the worker placement spots. The the only other player yeah. interaction you really get is when you're getting at the back end of game, New York Zoo and you're like, again, you mentioned it, hey, you need that spot. Let me just push you way over here. Yeah. Now you got to wait a couple more turns to mitigate that. So yeah, I honestly think game immersion goes to Caverna. Okay. So it brings it down to meaningful choice again. All right. Impact on other player strategy. Both have really good impact. I think there's more impact in New York Zoo when it comes to the yes. ratcheting effect. Because Caverna, again, we talked about it, there is the ability to pivot. Right. Because of the worker spots. Especially right. when you get into later game, when more spots are opening. And not only that, if I take a tile, because there's only like one of every tile yeah. type. If I take a tile, you are never getting that tile. Ever. And, and, and it, the worker placement spots rehash every time. And not just that. Also, if you take that tile, I may have to pivot to get a smaller tile and have to go and find a like a piece i got to make sure i breed my animals well this way i can get one of those extra pieces to take up the spot right that you took that tile away from me right so yeah no i i get that where that is much more in depth than say uh caverna yep. depth of strategy tactics or skills now this is that caverna. New York zoo the, because the worker placement aspect of it, your strategy is fine, but you're all playing the same game. It's just whoever yeah. gets to the piece first. Right. The thing is with the New York Zoo, you have to be smart. And this is one of the big things. You have to be very proficient with what you're doing. Again, I, I'm beating the dead horse here. Uh, you can't be a jack of all trades. You have to master certain things. If it's the farming, then you're going to do the farming. If you're going to do some of the cave dwelling, you need a farm on that too. You got to make sure you're you're making enough stuff to feed your workers, or else you're going to get penalized. You got to be smart about how you do things. Whereas you're only doing a tactile or puzzle in a sense. There's ways to mitigate it. Okay, you took me that, and I got to get this piece. Well, now this crossed me to this threshold, so I got all these bread. Let me take this piece. Hey, look, I just matched the six piece you took away from me. So. It's it's interesting what it does, but I just think the depth of strategy in um, 
Caverna is just much more there because of all the worker placement spots. You have to be efficient how you do it. You better hope someone doesn't take the spot that you want, but there's ways to pivot. So you have to be smart in how you pivot as well. So sure. I, that's why I'm saying like the strategy and the skill there is a little bit more in depth. Are you saying both of those then Caverna? Depth of strategy, tactics, or skills? Caverna. Okay. For me, Meaningful Choice, New York Zoo, the Arbitrary Choice AP, is that's a knock on Caverna. Yes. So I think that would mean New York Zoo wins Meaningful Choice for the impact in the Arbitrary Choices. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? I agree. So that means New York Zoo wins it. That is impressive. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's an impressive game. Honestly, it's none. It it just proves the fact that you know, it's not just about. Oh, I have the ability to go through all these other things. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, a a simple strategy game can be a more a more meaningful experience sometimes than that. Now, will it be more of like an immersive experience? Not not always. Like, I mean, I would rather play some of some of the other games than this. Like, if we played Seventh Continent, I'd rather play that than New York Zoo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm looking for different things when that happens. And by our criteria, New York Zoo wins it. And just barely. That, I mean, that was a pretty sound argument for yeah, everything. that was very, very close. Well, with that being said, congratulations to New York Zoo as being the number one Uwe Rosenberg game. And remember, send your, your hate mail to Daniel at everydayboardgames.com if you disagree with our with our <laughs> uh judgment but um please provide reasons if i mean by all means comment down below like if you really disagree with us and it that's totally fine comment why you know arguing is totally cool on yeah. on uh youtube because it's what the algorithm likes so mm -hmm. like post all your hate <laughs> messages right down there that's totally cool with us with that being said we'll justify our reasoning if we need to we want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you ever want to join us on one of our live episodes, you certainly can, like our friends Luminous or Creative Chaos or anybody else who joined us in our live episodes today. You can join us at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames and be sure to follow us on there so that way you'll be notified when we turn live. As well as all video re-uploads can be found on YouTube under youtube.com slash at everydayboardgamespodcast. And if you like what we do, there are three things you can do to help us grow on that platform. Subscribe if you're not, like the video, and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games Podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Podbean, and now Apple. And if you ever want to contact us directly, not including the email that I brought up earlier, you can email us directly at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. Whether you want to say hi, give ideas for future episodes, or possibly enter in future contests. Email us again at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. With that being said, I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And we want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. Remember, every day is a good day for board gaming.